But when it comes to food, there's definitely a pressure knowing that your child is going to be eaten for the rest of their life and you want to get it right. No child follows a textbook, you know. Our kids are so perceptive to our own emotional state. And if we have anxiety around food, perhaps our own eating struggle, and we bring that anxiety towards the weaning process, Our kids are so perceptive to that. But just to go back to nature and what nature intended, babies are still designed to drink milk very much in the first two years of life. And I think the challenge is that children are not always developmentally ready to be at a certain stage of feeding. Or even from a sensory standpoint, I mean, I, I love, like Jenny says, when we're expecting kids to be able to use possibly a knife and a fork or even just a spoon can sometimes just be so overwhelming for a child. Messy eating and messy play and the sort of more mess the better. And just enjoy and put the fun back into feeding. And we're back with Let's Talk Baby and we really hope you're enjoying the series with us as we've been journeying with Sammy on her pregnancy and today we just want to jump in and just talk a little bit about a topic that is um, quite common if you've got a baby. I think everyone has to do it and at some point you've got to wean your baby. So again, today is the team and it's Sammy, who's our speech pathologist, feeding therapist and lactation consultant. So welcome, Sammy. Hi, thanks, Kat. Thanks for having me. And Jenny, Dr. Jenny Rose, our clinical psychologist and um, mom of three of her own children. And thanks, Jenny, for joining us. Thanks so much, Kat. So happy to be here. And I'm a pediatric dietitian and also a mom of three older children, but I don't forget those days when I had to navigate weaning my babies onto solids. So Sammy and Jenny, today, I think as we kind of explore the topic of weaning, I think I'd really like to do it not so much from how do we wean, because we'll have many sessions where we can talk about that and there is lots of information. But I think I'd like to talk really about more the kind of the background to weaning. What is What are the type of things we are taking these little people and we setting them up for a journey of eating? And I always say eating is something that you have to do for the rest of your life. Breastfeeding is for a season. Even being on the bottle will be for a season. And so we can kind of, you know, um, you can have a child that's not wild about milk or not wild about being on the bottle. But when it comes to food, there's definitely a pressure knowing that your child is going to be eaten for the rest of their life and you want to get it right. So I think maybe just to start off, Jenny, I'm just going to ask you to just give us a little bit around the the thought processes and the, the possible anxiety that a mom and a dad could feel when it comes to approaching the whole food journey, more from kind of a psychological perspective as opposed to a practical food perspective. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Kat, because I think one of the sort of underestimated areas around weaning and sort of food development is actually the emotional or psychological side. 
And I see an enormous number of kids that present with a lot of complexity in their eating. And I think as parents, it's tricky because we don't want to put more pressure on ourselves, but mm. we also need to understand that our kids are so perceptive to our own emotional state. And if we have anxiety around food, perhaps our mm. own eating struggles mm. or difficulties, or also just the concerns that we have for our child's eating development, and we bring that anxiety towards the weaning mm. process, our kids are so perceptive to that. So what mm. we actually see on a psychological level with kids and eating, and this might play out a little bit later in the weaning process, a little bit further down mm. the line, but see that food holds an enormous currency for children. Mm. The amount of power associated with food is undeniable. And our mm. approach to weaning, our approach to food has such a long-term sort of um, potential implications or ramifications around mm. how we hold power in the house and our kids mm -hmm. very quickly learn often what a stressful and perhaps anxiety inducing mm -hmm. process weaning and food is. And when they realize mm -hmm. how much power they can gain by controlling mm -hmm. the food and the eating, it can lead to very complex and difficult interactions. And I always mm -hmm. say I never want parents to be overwhelmed or feel really stressed about this because those, you know, that sounds like quite a lot of scary stuff that can potentially happen. Mm -hmm. It's about being mindful and conscious mm. of how we approach eating, that we don't mm. want it to be something that is riddled with anxiety. We don't want power mm. plays around food. Mm. We don't want control around food. So being mm. conscious of those psychological elements is so important. Mm. Mm, I love that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've really felt very strongly about, and, and it leans to what you're saying, is the way we start the weaning journey and the pressure as professionals we put on food and solid introduction, complementary food into introduction can have a huge add on um, pressure to parents that are already maybe like you say, Jenny, navigating their own journey with food, how they feel around food um, and just their own anxiety around it. So, you know, as a professional, from my point of view, I kind of have been giving it a lot of thought lately and just looking at our bodies. And, and I think I'll get Sammy to, to jump in as well, because it relates a lot to kind of what our bodies were meant to do from a breastfeeding perspective. And I know that some parents haven't been able to successfully maybe breastfeed for as long as they wanted or even at all for various reasons. And then we have wonderful formula available for that. And we're really grateful. But just to go back to kind of nature and what nature intended. And if you look at our, our how we were kind of designed and how our baby's bodies were designed to have breast milk for the first two years at least of life. And um, we still, the babies have the lactase enzyme, which is able to break down lactose. And that is in abundance up until two years of age. So that must tell us something because at the end of the day, that means our babies are still designed to drink milk very much in the first two years of life. Sammy, do you, do you agree with this? Um, and uh, kind of from a lactation point of view. Um, yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, um, 
your your majority of your nutrition is gonna is gonna come from a milk based diet, like you say, um, for definitely the first year of, of of life, and and even for another year, like you say, the the you know the milk composition, and um, whether it is breast milk or formula, um, is is there to provide the nutrition that that a child needs, um, and so you know when we look at solids and and starting weaning, um, it's very important to to remember that. Um, and then we see, you know, solids and weaning, not so much from the perspective of, or the nutritional perspective, which it, it does have, um, but more from the explorative uh, point of view, um, which, which then actually can change a, a parent's perspective completely, because uh, it does take a, quite a bit of pressure off um, of that whole weaning, uh, weaning journey and, and process, especially in the early days. Mm, yeah, so so right that you know nutritionally your food in the beginning first year is really there to as you say explore, um, be exposed to its new its new flavors, new tastes. It's something that the child has never ever ever done before, and so um, we really want to encourage that fun in food kind of mm. concept as opposed to the nutrition around food concept in those early weaning months. And then as you head in into kind of the second year of weaning, you can start to kind of step up the shift of food versus milk and step down milk, but still have milk as a backup. And I think that is really helpful if parents understand that perspective. Mm-hmm. And and I like to, I read an article recently just about kind of before science got involved in weaning, what did it look like? And it really looked like a mom breastfeeding her child wherever, however, and then when she was eating and around food and at an appropriate time when the child was a bit stronger, a bit more engaging with the world, which is around four months when a child starts to kind of wake up to the world around them, the child would reach out and the mom would respond by giving little tastes of food to her baby. And that was kind of the weaning journey, very organically done. And I think we've we've kind of mechanicalized it and made it very kind of, um, you know, wrote and in a, in very much this is the way to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's disempowered a lot of parent-child connections around food because it's almost like this is not the time to feed, this is the time to feed, this is how I do it, this is not how you do it. So there's a lot of do's and don'ts when it comes yeah. to that. And and I think the challenge is that children are are not always developmentally ready to be at a certain stage of feeding. And maybe, Sammy, you just want to, from your um, speech pathology, feeding therapy um, points of view, and that's your area of expertise, maybe just explain um, just briefly about the development and the feeding development journey um, that a child actually goes through when learning to eat. Yeah, so I think that's such an important thing. You know, we think of of weaning um, and we think of eating and, you know, to us it, it comes naturally and, and, and you just eat and, you know, some people eat to live and other people um, love to eat. But, you know, if you think of it from a developmental perspective, um, it's, it's, it's so important to follow your child's development because we're looking at sensory development, we're looking at oral motor development. That's a huge component of of the weaning journey. Um, and there's a lot of research showing, you know, um, 
oral motor development from food and speech, you know, later down, later down the line. Um, and I think the, the important thing is, and, and, and what you said is nowadays, you know, there's a lot of do's and don'ts and a lot of um, guidelines on when certain things should be done. But, you know, in my practice, I found um, and, and, and parents will know that no, no child follows a textbook, you know, some are pretty close, but generally in terms of development, there's such a huge mm-hmm. um, spectrum. And so a child that is ready to start solids at four months, um, you know, is, is, is great. And if, if mom and dad are reading those cues and wonderful, but another child at four months might be still far away from starting solids mm-hmm. in terms of just the development, um, you know, their, their development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's so important to follow your own child's development and see, you know, where they are on, on their developmental continuum um, as to then deciding, you know, whether to start solids or whether to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. give it a try and then cut back because maybe they're not developmentally mm-hmm. ready from an oral motor perspective, from a sensory perspective, from both, even from, you know, a bit of an emotional development perspective. Um, mm. so, so when it comes to solids, uh, a child's development is is really an important factor to consider. Mm. And, and that being your own, your own child's development. So, you know, you can look at the guidelines and have a brief overview of what you're looking out for and what are the important developmental milestones you, you kind of want to see when you're starting solids. Um, but it's really actually just looking at your at your own child and where they are um, on their continuum. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, I like the continuum of development when it comes to feeding. And I think what is also really important is that along the feeding journey, they will continue to develop at their own pace. So they might take two solids happily, but then kind of just stick around the purees if that's what you started with or only want, you know, finger foods, just depending on the child and what they're able to cope with. And I also find a lot of parents get very anxious about ability to use utensils and um, I always try and explain that that is a huge high level of development when it comes to feeding because it takes so many processes to be able to use a utensil to get food to the mouth that if you look at the research it shows only up only really at the age of five is a child really fully equipped to do all three meals in a day with utensils on their own. And that's often why a four-year-old will even ask to be fed um, because they just are, they just can't manage at certain times of day all the um, mental processes that it takes to use utensils, eat the food, chew the food, see the food, digest the food. And so it becomes just quite an overwhelming experience for them, which often leads children to avoid stuff if it is overwhelming. And I don't know, Jenny, if you can just weigh in on that and just maybe from a perspective of tasks that are really difficult, how do children respond to to that? Because I think if we start to understand as parents that feeding is quite a high level um, of, of development and expertise, if a child is not coping with that and not able to actually do that task, ask what sort of kind of emotional and psychological reactions could we expect to see from them yeah it's such a great question Kath what we what we see um in the sort of psychology side of things is one of the core components of parenthood is actually around this idea of challenge and I always say to parents this is probably one of the areas that they struggle with the most because getting this accurate there's a, a small window that is the accurate sort of amount of challenge or the accurate 
sort of number of demands or tasks we need to put on kids. And what happens is we tend to overshoot it and place way too many demands on them, or we completely undershoot it and we, you know, treat them at as quite regressive almost and really unable to do anything. And so this is a perfect example. When we're expecting kids to be able to use possibly a knife and fork or even just a spoon and actually get the motor development of putting something on the spoon, bringing it to the mouth, feeding, all the sensory stuff it's activating, the swallowing process, all of that happening in one can sometimes just be so overwhelming for a child. And what we tend to see typically is when expectations are too high on kids they withdraw or retreat so they actually then rather say I'm not even going to try it's too Mm. much that is what happens and the long-term knock-on effect of that is the sense of um, self and you know confidence and self-worth and just being able to believe in one's own ability so we want to really find the balance of allowing kids to get that amount just right of you know when that is sufficient enough for them to try develop their skills a little bit further, but not enough to overwhelm them entirely. Mm -hmm. I'm a really big fan of, I'm a mom that lets my kids run around barefoot. If they want to eat with their hands, granted to a certain age, but they Mm -hmm. can, because I also think sensory gains are incredible. We are very quick as moms these days to be cleaning our kids' mouths while they're eating Mm -hmm. and, you know, eat perfectly with a spoon so we don't mess and actually Mm -hmm. mess a critical part of development Mm. to me if you're eating yogurt with your hand and it's going everywhere and you're barefoot Mm. and running around in the mud those have massive 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 gains for kids and Mm. so we need to lay back on expecting our kids Mm. to kind of present perfectly too early Mm. on by Mm. utensils and staying Mm. clean Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, Jenny. And I don't know, Sam, if you want to add anything with regards to what Jenny has said, um, you know, from your perspective, do you, you know, do you see this similar kind of, um, you know, acceleration of moms or dads' expectations of their yeah. abilities, you know, feed in yeah, lives? Yeah. Yeah, I think a huge, a huge um, part of my management with, you know, the cases that I see is, is managing parent expectations around mm-hmm. mealtimes and also, um, you know, guiding them on, on these expectations. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of pointing it out and saying, you know, what, what you're expecting of your child maybe from a developmental standpoint is, is just too much at this stage um, mm. or is unrealistic. Um, and it, it's managing those, those expectations because, yeah, I think sometimes the, the, there's that high expectation, like you were saying, of eating with a utensil. Um, and maybe from a, a motor standpoint, a child struggles with that, or even from a sensory standpoint. I mean, I, I love, like Jenny says, messy eating and messy play mm-hmm. and the sort of more mess, the better from a sensory perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And so a huge part of, of my sort of role as a feeding therapist is managing parent expectations around, around their specific child, you know, eating and eating abilities. Mm, yeah so you're managing expectations so so important and I think maybe I will just kind of bring this to to a close by just highlighting 
again, what I, the points I brought across just now, in light of what both of you have mentioned about the messy eating, a lot of parents don't want to go there because you can't quantify it. So if you give a bowl of yogurt and you're not feeding every spoonful, the ba- child is not able to take in every spoonful, but they're using their hands and they like plopping their hand in the yogurt, putting it to their mouth, licking off some, you can't say how much the child has eaten. And so if the pressure is on volume of food for nutrition and amounts of that the child is going to take in, it makes those opportunities to eat more organically much harder for a parent to do because they now have been told to cut back on milk. And mm-hmm. so they are kind of saying, well, where is my child's nutrition actually coming from? Will they actually have enough if I allow them to do it themselves and navigate it themselves? And which often leads to them taking over. So once again, I think it's really important in the developmental learning phase of eating that parents do use the milk, which is what nature has given us to nourish our babies in those early years um, to provide that nutrition still so that while the child is developing skills with regards to food and feeding, the pressure is not on the child Mm -hmm. in that case. Um, Because I think what we're all saying here is, is the pressure is not going to help the feeding journey at all. And putting a child and a parent under pressure is not the answer to a good eater or to creating a foodie in the future. It's really allowing to take the the kind of foot off the gas, take the pressure off and just enjoy and put the fun back into feeding um, so that the child can just enjoy it, be engaged and explore the process of food. And um, I think that's really important. So thank you, Sammy, so much for your insights as always and your inputs and Jenny also just for your wonderful way of just expressing and explaining to us you know just what goes on in the minds of little children and and parents and that relationship so thank you both and look forward to the next podcast thanks Kat thank you Kat